Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you that you give us your spirit and you give us your word and your spirit help us, helps us to understand and apply your word. We pray now that you would help us and uh, this help us to hear what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. So I want to ask a question. What is the problem with more? Now, I have been around a lot of young children. I was around two of them yesterday afternoon, and uh, this was true of one of them at least. Uh, It's not uncommon that children, before they can speak words, uh, can learn sign language, right? And the most common one I've seen used is the word more. Where the, and, and that's they use it to or at the dinner table, and the kids go more, and mom gives food, and, and, or dad gives food, and the mom might ask more. It's really remarkable. Now, when it comes to a baby wanting good food to grow big and strong, more is important, right? Uh, but when it comes to life, and especially when it comes to possessions and money, uh, more is more better? See, Jesus warns us about more in our reading from the Gospel of Luke. And he says this in verse 15, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. It is a warning against the desire for more, an unhealthy desire. It's a warning against greed. And the same warning is found in our reading from Colossians when Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, or greed, he specifies, which is idolatry. See, Jesus' warning is not simply a warning against greed. It's a warning against idolatry. And here's a definition for you uh, about what idolatry is. Idolatry is an attack on God's exclusive rights to our love, to our trust, and to our obedience. When we say more, 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 it is not simply just saying yes to wealth and possessions, it is actually saying no to God. It's interesting that while many things Uh, might meet this definition of idolatry. The New Testament unambiguously judges only one thing to be idolatry outside of the literal worship of a uh, a shapened image, an idol. And that one thing is greed. It's in Colossians. Paul repeats it in Ephesians 5 where he says, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And it's implied in Matthew 6, where you may remember Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve God and money. Here's what greed does to us. More greed distorts, it distracts, and it disables us. And all of this reminds me of a story. So one day, a young professional type opened up the door of his Tesla. And suddenly a car came careening down the streets, hit the door, ripping it off its hinges and leaving it in a mangled mess in the middle of the street. When the police arrived at the scene, this man was complaining bitterly about the damage to his precious Tesla. Officer, look what they've done to my car, he whined. 
You yuppies are so materialistic. You make me sick, retorted the officer. You're so worried about your stupid Tesla that you didn't even notice that your left arm has been ripped off. <laughs> oh my God, said the yuppie, finally noticing the bloody nub of a shoulder where his arm once was. Where is my Rolex? <laughs> Friends, materialism, covetousness, greed distorted this man's perspective, and it ultimately distorts and damages ours as well. The great Anglican theologian Richard Hooker warns of these dangers. He says, Prosperity in regard to our corrupt inclination to abuse God's blessing is for the most part a dangerous thing to the souls of men. Because as John Rockefeller responded when asked how much money it takes for a person to be happy, he said, just a little bit more. Friends, we will always need more. And Jesus warns us against the evils of just a little bit more of the evils of greed. So I think it's worth asking and exploring, what is it that greed does to us in our day-to-day? So three things. It distorts our perspective, it distracts us with unnecessary things, and it disables us from fulfilling the call of God on our lives. So three words that begin with D, distorts, distracts, disables. And we all, all of these are at work in the parable of the rich young fool that we find in Luke chapter 12. It's in your bulletin. It probably will be on the screen. You can pull it up on your phone if you like. So the first point is this. Greed distorts our perspective. In Luke 12, Jesus is answering a man who's come up to him, and he wants him to settle. We didn't read this little part of it, but he wants him to settle a financial dispute with his brother. Basically, he wants Jesus to tell his brother to give him a part of the inheritance, to share the inheritance with him. See, this guy's got a bad case of possessionitis. He wants some more, right? Greed has distorted his perspective in one main way, and it's this, that he believes that money will solve his problems and make his life better. The man thought, if I had part of the inheritance, my life would be better or might be more secure, I'd be more comfortable, perhaps uh, life would be less problematic. And I wonder, how often have you said something like this? If I just had a little bit more, I'd be okay. I'd feel safe. If my boss just paid me a little bit more, I'd feel more valued. If I had that house, then life would be truly good. If I had that blower that's not this piece of junk one that's in my garage, I'd be more satisfied. My yard would be cleaner. Um, That's my own personal one right now. Um, I also wouldn't be deaf. Uh, uh, You know, it's a little self-reference. There you go. I want a new blower. Um, Money, friends, wouldn't solve his problems, nor will it solve ours. Why? Because there's always a little bit more. Because greed distorts our worldview and says, this is what life is about. Money, possessions, houses, stuff. It is not the object of our life. It will not complete you. And how do I know this? Well, because most of us uh, have so much stuff, and it isn't actually making our life better. Let me give you a personal example. Just this week, I was uh, going through my closet, which is remarkably small, but has a remarkable amount of stuff in it. Um, And as we're preparing to move, I went through my closet to find that I own like 
30 pairs of pants. 30 pairs of pants, all of which have been hemmed to my short little legs. And um, I was absolutely shocked. There were like four of them that were in complete tatters, uh, six or so that didn't fit at all, 12 or so that fit but were certainly not suitable for public consumption, and four or five that I wear regularly. Good morning, friends. My name's Trevor, and I'm a, I'm a clothes hoarder. Um, I mean, I, what is wrong? Uh, this is, it just happens. I thought to myself, somebody else could use these. Most of them are actually quite nice. And the fact is, or the facts are likely, that most of us have so much stuff that not only do we not know what to do with it, we might not even be aware that we own it. I mean, how many of you have a storage unit or a garage? Do you know what's in those things? What was the last time you used it? It's clear from Jesus' response in verse 15 that money and possessions aren't what life's about. And the ones that we have aren't often making that much of a difference to us. God, greed, it distorts our understanding of life. More stuff won't make our lives more better. The Bible is clear that life is truly found in a relationship with Jesus. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Those are his words. And ironically, when we have Jesus, the one through whom everything was created and everything is provided, we will always have enough. You will simply find satisfaction. You may not have every newfangled blower, but you might have what you need. That is the promise of life in Jesus. So greed distorts our perspective. Second, greed distracts us with unnecessary things. That's at the heart of the parable that Jesus tells. Uh, so there's a man who has been blessed with amazing crops, right? Um, and uh, his land produced plentifully, the scripture says. Um, and uh, Having such an abundance, he decides, because he has a distorted worldview, to what? To hoard it, right? He becomes distracted with the more. He's, only not, he's not only not sharing the abundance with others, it seems that he's not even enjoying it himself. It's actually causing him more work. What does he do? Well, he immediately starts a building project. And if you've ever been involved in a building project, you know how absolutely comprehensive this is to your life. So first the man has to demo the barns, right? And then he has to design bigger ones. And then he has to go to the border architectural review and have them approve it. And then he has to get the contractor to actually show up. And um, no offense if you're a contractor, I'm sure you're a good one. And, um, and, and then he realizes, oh man, lumber is now at 30% more. So he goes out and plants the field again because he doesn't want to, you know, it's got a good thing going, got to keep it going. He's got more work. It's true. The words of the notorious B.I.G. are true. Mo money, mo problems. See, greed distracts us from what really matters. Third, greed disables us from living by faith and fulfilling the, God, the call of God on our lives. 
See, when we substitute possessions for real life, we stop living by faith and trusting God to meet our needs. Just listen to the words of the man in the parable in verse 19. The rich man with full, big barns will say to his soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, because that's what he is, fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? They won't be yours. So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Who is this man dependent on, friends? He's dependent on himself. And he assumes that he has time that he doesn't. Because tonight his life will end. One of the distortions greed causes is for us to assume we have time that we don't. I'll just seek and attain and enjoy this life for now, and perhaps one day I will be concerned for my spiritual life. I'll do that tomorrow. And the problem is we simply don't know when our life will end. If you're depending on your wealth and your possessions, you are disabled. You cannot depend on them at the same time as you depend on God. That's the curse of idolatry. It's the problem with greed, and it is the problem with more. It distorts, it distracts, and disables us from truly following after God. So that's the problem. I can see it on you. You're like, whoa, this is heavy. So what is the solution? Well, there is a hope, and there's hope. Uh, I find a uh, some hope in a story from C.S. Lewis, in which uh, it's from the voyage of the Dawn Treader. And it shows a, in this book, uh, Edmund and Lucy, who are two of the original kings of Narnia, uh, they are now been drawn back into Narnia with their annoying, aggravating, incorrigible, and insufferable cousin, Eustace. And they're on a boat, the Dawn Treader, with the king of Narnia, who is now Caspian, and they are on an adventure that Eustace can hardly be interested in. In fact, when they land on an island and have to repair the boat, he disappears because he doesn't want to do any of the work. And so he is off kind of meandering around the island, and he come, the storms come, and he escapes into the cave of a dead dragon. And what does he find in the cave but the dragon's treasure? Lewis writes this. He says, Eustace, unlike most boys, had never thought much of treasure, but he saw at once the use it would be in this new world. With some of this stuff, I could have a quite decent time here, Eustace said to himself. I wonder how much I can carry. His greed is aroused, and he begins to stuff jewels and money and gold in his pockets. He puts a big bracelet on his arm, and he falls asleep. And what happens while he is asleep, Lewis says, is Eustace turned into a dragon, sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy dragonish thoughts in his heart. He became a dragon himself. See, I don't think we're completely to blame for becoming greedy in this world. Why? Because it's so hard not to. 
when we live in a culture that is more, 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 it's hard for us not to be transformed by that culture and to believe in more, more, more. The same thing happened to Eustace. Being uh, lying on the treasure, it was hard for him to not fall in love with the treasure. And he became an actual dragon. But the same chapter in this book has a beautiful redemption to it. See, as a dragon, when he woke up, Eustace became aware of how wretched he felt. But on his own, he couldn't shed his dragon skin. It was only when he met Aslan and let Aslan remove the painful, sad, wretched dragon skin and to recreate him that Eustace was able to become truly human and who Aslan made him to be. Aslan, of course, is Jesus. And the only way for you and I to overcome the idols of our life, the idol of greed, to gain proper perspective, to become actually attentive to the things that matter, and to be enabled to be fully human, as God intends, is to let Aslan, to let Jesus heal you. And the good news is this. Jesus wants to heal us. He wants to make us, it makes us whole. He wants to help us to live as he desired. Because he actually is the most generous person in the history of the world. We too, when we surround ourselves with him, when we rest upon him, when we let him remove the the sin of our life, the greed of our life, the idolatry of our life, he will make us whole. Why? Because he loves you. He gave up his heavenly throne and he came down here. And here he gave up his life so that you might have yours. Why? Because he loves you. And the way that we become like him is we become generous as well. That's the corrective to greed is generosity. And as we spend time around Jesus, as we uh, become, spend time around his people, as we let his word and his life transform us, we should naturally expect and desire that our life would become like his. That's why at the end of the passage, Luke contrasts, Jesus contrasts, greed with being rich towards God. This is more, when we think about our financial life, our financial generosity to the church, it's not simply because uh, we need to keep the lights on or we need to pay some salaries or we need to do these things. No, it becomes a actual, our giving to the Lord becomes a corrective to what the world tries to press at us. It becomes the corrective to the tendency towards greed. And so we are in a season where we are discerning in our own households, you, your, your marriage, your, your spouse, your family, your teaching, your kids. How do I uh, give to the Lord? What should I give? And the challenge to us is to become like Christ. And Jesus wants us to be generous in every way.
And so I, my prayer is that you would be surrounded by him. If you have found yourself like me, hoarding stuff and wanting these things and, and being wanting more and more and more that isn't healthy, that you might come before the Lord and offer yourselves to him and say, Lord, would you remove that from me? And in its place, would you give me a heart of gratitude towards you and generosity to, uh, to you and to the world? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in every place that we go astray, you come alongside and lead us back to who you call us to be. Not only do you lead us there, but you make us able to stay there. And so I pray that you would give us your spirit, that all aspects of our life might be for you and for your glory. And not only would we see our lives change, but we would find great joy and delight as we are your sons and your daughters. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.